and welcome to another episode of Lunar Crush Live. Today we'll be speaking with Zach Bronstein, COO of Endowment. That's D-A-O Endowment, the, fo the first fully on-chain 501c3 nonprofit. Check about app.endowment.org. Uh, disclaimer, as always, uh, we do not take payment for our live stream. We bring on cool, fun people that are building and have dedicated their lives to the space and try to have a fun conversation around building. Um, make sure you get in there if you got questions for Zach. Um, you know, we'll try to get those, you know, towards the end of the session. And then, as always, sl slam the subscribe button. We got to come up with a new word in here. I got to I got to do better than slam the subscribe button, John. I, I got one. Click. Click or tap. 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 Wait, both. All right. No. There go. Yeah. There we, there we go. All right, you guys. Here comes Zach. What's up, hey, buddy? Guys. Good to be here today. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, my man. Yeah. Um, pretty good. John, you're pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. We're going to shrug off all the other. <laughs> We're on it. Kidding. Pretty um, good. Zach, man, we always like to start with uh, where are you in the world today and what's it like there? Yeah. So I live in Westchester, just north of uh, New York City. It is uh, 80, muggy. I expect okay. it is still summer. minutes away from pouring. But yeah, very much <laughs> well. still summer. I was out walking my dog earlier. The mosquitoes are still very aware that it is the summer months. Oh yeah, get that that like humidity and that wet weather in the Midwest and back east. It's just oh, yeah. like nonstop. Um, like living in the West now, it's like when I first came out here, I was like, "Where are all the bugs are on the lights at night? Like, where no screen in porches? It's crazy." Um, oh, that sounds yeah. lovely. I still miss <laughs> yes. that the change the changing of the leaves. I'll never forget that from the Family Guy stuff. Um, awesome, man. Well, first question for you um, in your Twitter bio, it says you're doing your best to make the world a better place, just one thing at a time. Um, so why are you doing your, your best to, to do it one thing at a time? Yeah, so thank you for that question. You know, my background, uh, the last five years, I worked for Morgan Stanley doing finance. My goal was to really cut my teeth. But before that, my whole life has really revolved around some element of nonprofit work or philanthropy. As a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, both before, during, and after college, you know, I was looking for opportunities to work in nonprofits and do something positive in the world. Sometimes that amounted to, you know, being on the receiving end of checks and just kind of helping nonprofits organize themselves. Sometimes it amounted to me actually going out there, doing work, um, like physical work for, you know, nonprofits to, to get things in order. Uh, but really, you know, my goal is just to put some positivity out there into the world, be it on an interpersonal basis or an organizational basis and, you know, find places where I can make some even a small impact, but some impact. And I think what's really nice is I've been able to find that now professionally at endowment, figuring out a way to help folks and just make it really easy for folks to get their cryptocurrency into, you know, philanthropic causes, 501c3s based out of the US. Very cool. And yeah, before we kind of get into endowment, just just yeah. tell us a little bit about your your journey, you know, and, and how you kind of got into this position, found the industry, you know, and then and kind of pick this niche in this industry. Yeah. So so like I mentioned, you know, my last five years have been in finance. And the goal there was really to, to cut my teeth and figure out like how I could use my my math and business skills to really like kind of make a career for myself. Um, my introduction to cryptocurrency and my introduction to endowment were really the same. Endowment CEO Robbie Heger has been someone who's had his eye on cryptocurrency and you know, been actively involved, investing and interested for a number of years now. I think it's uh, like four or five years for him. He gave me a call basically middle of last year, right? 
2020 in the summer, right in the middle of the pandemic. And we were just chatting. We're old friends catching up on, on work. He was asking me how things were going. And we started chatting about how I wanted to get back into the nonprofit world. We also started chatting about kind of cryptocurrency generally. And these two conversations sort of coalesced around this idea that he had for making it really easy for folks to take their cryptocurrency that's experienced some, be it short or long-term gain, and donate those proceeds to charity in a really efficient way that would allow the nonprofit to get as much proceeds from that uh, donation as possible, and also allow the individual making the donation to get a really nice tax receipt. So, you know, hearing about this idea, hearing about how cryptocurrency was really changing the world of finance and is kind of the is the next best thing in terms of the way that we're organizing around pooled sources of capital. This all sounded really exciting to me. And also it really sounded like an opportunity to put that life goal that you mentioned for my Twitter bio of making a positive change, even, even a small positive change, just one thing at a time, allowed me to see how I could do that professionally. And returning to the nonprofit world as CEO of Endowment has been honestly a thrilling experience. I'm just so glad to be back in a place where instead of you know shifting numbers around on a balance sheet for people that have plenty of cash is helping folks find a way to support the causes they really care about. Amazing, yeah. I, I, th I feel like I could twist the knife on you a little bit more and get get more out of that, but I wanna know, um, so why, and this is kind of a loaded question though, so wh why are nonprofit organizations needed in, in this industry? Yeah, so it's a good question. Nonprofits are needed generally because government services fall short. It doesn't matter if you live in England or France or the US or any other country, there is a gap left between the needs of people and the things that government entities can do, right? NGOs are important no matter where you go. In some countries, granted, they're more important than others, depending on what that government and those government agencies are able to do, but there's always gonna be more of a need than is met by a government entity. Essentially, NGOs, nonprofits step into that world and say, here are some services that we're gonna provide basically for free to the people that need them. We're not gonna make any money, right? And all that we're gonna do is ask people to donate to our cause and support the kind of things that we're trying to do, right? So really it's about meeting a need that's not otherwise met and making sure that any individual has access to the kind of resources that folks believe they should have access to. So it's taking everything or go ahead, John, if you get a question on that. I, I mean, I, I, this has me thinking because in, in my past life, long time ago, I worked for a major health system and worked with their foundation. And, and I remember the perspective of, you know, hey, we need to build a new, a new, you know, cancer treatment center, and it's going to require, you know, $35 million of, of donations and, and, and us, you know, trying to get 10 bucks per person online just is not going to cut it. And I remember that perspective of we have to have, you know, a gala and get major gifts and these big donors and, the, and, and they have to. But I remember when they were shocked that when we launched online donations, uh, that when, when we did, it, it was so many $10 gifts that it, it was, it blew them away. They thought that no one was going to do it. And I guess I'm curious what, kind of donation size are you seeing and and are you seeing major gifts come through this is this a lot of ten dollars is this like five hundred dollar kinds of things like what what are you seeing i like that question and i think I, the the place i'll start is to say every little bit always counts you know ten dollars a hundred dollars a thousand dollars whatever folks can give 
is going to make a difference at these nonprofits, right? It's, it's, you know, a difference between how much of, you know, the CEO salary are you paying for? How much are you able to support depending on the amount that you give, but every little bit counts. But to your question, what kind of gifts are we seeing? Uh, we actually just plotted this out because we were curious ourselves how exactly this lined up. I, I think you won't be surprised to hear that really it follows the power law. You know, we see a couple of really large gifts. Uh, we had one seven figure gift. We've seen a couple of six figure gifts over the course of the last year or so. Uh, most of our gifts end up being in the in the four to five figure range. I would imagine the majority of them are low five figure range gifts. Um, mm -hmm. Note though that those are gifts into donors donor advised funds, right? There's a second step of making a grant from your donor advised fund to various to any nonprofit that you know you want to work with. That's a part of our ecosystem, and often what folks will do will be, and this is just an example, they'll give a low five digit gift of like $20,000 and then they'll make, you know, 10 different $2,000 grants to various nonprofits that they want to support. So once the money's in the, in the system, they can allocate it kind of based on the fund that they created. That's exactly right. Uh, and that's basically the flow that donors go through. They approach our site, they open up a fund, they put their, you know, hard-earned cryptocurrency into that fund. Uh, we immediately liquidate those cryptocurrencies for US dollar coin. And then at their leisure, they're able to grant out those US dollar coins to 501c3s, which are in good standing with the IRS, which basically means they're nonprofits operating and based out of the United States that don't engage in any religious or political activity. This is good. He's like, well, I, did, I definitely didn't share my show notes with you, Zach, but you're like just walking through it perfectly. Um, <laughs> I do want to come back to um, the smaller donations because I have a question Please. on that later. But I, I do want to kind of continue kind of like the user flow that you were walking through right there of um, like, so how does all this work? Like maybe like walk us through like how people interact with endowment, someone that wants to donate or someone that wants to kind of create an initiative for people to donate to. Like what do those like paths look like? Yeah, so let's talk about standard donor flow that I was briefly mentioning before. You know, some donor exists, they have an Ethereum wallet, they're comfortable with Web3 and crypto. They approach app.endowment.org and they're prompted to open up a donor advised fund. I'll step back and talk about donor advised funds for a second. Donor advised funds are the most efficient tool that allows folks to donate assets. Normally, what we're comfortable with is, you know, writing a check or setting a credit card payment for a donation to a charity, donor advised funds, which are always organized by a charity itself, endowment is a 501c3 organization, receive the asset, liquidate that asset, and then allow you to determine what you do with the proceeds of that asset. What that allows you to do is it means that as the donor, you don't have to go sell your crypto, pay capital gains, and then donate the remainder. You can just donate your crypto directly We'll sell it because we're a charity. We don't pay capital gains tax and you have more money to work with, right? But back to the flow, donor approaches our site, opens up a donor advised fund, deposits some of their cryptocurrency into that fund. We liquidate those funds, as I said, for US dollar coin. Um, and if folks want to donate cryptocurrency that's not Ethereum or an ERC-20 token that we currently accept, we do over-the-counter transactions when folks want to okay. donate Bitcoin. Next question was knocked off. Coin. 
there you go, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've done one or two of these before, so I know uh, I know great. where we're headed. It's fantastic. Right? But, but once those funds are liquidated, which happens immediately uh, and programmatically, the donor has the opportunity to say, I'm going to navigate through the site. I'm going to find different 501c3s, either those that have been onboarded to endowment before that folks have given to, or perhaps folks uh, that haven't been onboarded to endowment that I'll then reach out to because they've received a grant recommendation, but we'll get to recommend a grant. I'll do some due diligence uh, or our team will do some due diligence on both the organization and the donor to make sure everything is kosher and above board. Right. And then once the grant recipient, the nonprofit says, you know, we're, we're good to accept this grant, we send it over to them. Funds typically arrive as a wire in within, within 24 hours or as tokens if the nonprofit wants to accept USDC via Ethereum wallet pretty pretty much instantaneously. So we're able to process donations to grants to payouts super fast in a way that really only the blockchain allows you to do. Right. A question around the, the taxation of this. So like I know like you know your your capital losses you can claim three thousand a year and then carry forward, but your capital gains are infinite basically. And so in that scenario you know, what, how much, if someone were to donate their crypto, how much could apply to offset some of their taxes? Yeah. So great question. Caveat beforehand. I'm not a tax professional. This is not sure. tax advice. And everyone's <laughs> tax situation is different. Everyone yep. should always talk to their CPA about, you know, whatever is going on with their taxes, with their donations. That said, here's the broad structure of how it works. When you donate an asset, it actually depends if you're donating a short-term capital gains appreciated asset or a long-term capital gains appreciated asset. If you donate a short-term capital gains appreciated asset, you're allowed to deduct from your income the cost basis of that asset. It's not really fun and exciting. What's fun and exciting is the long-term capital gains assets. When you make a donation, you're able to deduct 100% of that asset value from your essentially from your adjusted gross income, right? There is another caveat here, which is that this year, because of the CARES Act, you can deduct, I believe, up to 100% of your adjusted gross income. In normal years, you can only deduct up to 60% of your adjusted gross income. But in terms of the gift, in terms of the tax deductibility, when you donate long-term capital gains assets, you get to deduct 100% of the proceeds of that gift. Amazing, amazing. That, yeah. that does get complicated depending on your tax bracket and, and right. all of those other, there's a lot of things there, but that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, and those are like rules that, you know, even in this industry, especially here in the U S it's, you know, there's a huge advantage here. Um, especially for a lot of people that are, you know, just kind of dabbling in the industry or like maybe I'd purchased something and it, you know, it moved up a whole lot and now they're sitting on it wondering, you know, what do I want to do with it yet? They're still making a lot of money last year in some industry. So, um, some pretty impressive stuff there. Um, so I may, I got one here that maybe you haven't been asked yet. Can yeah, I donate, please. can I donate an NFT? Can you donate an NFT? The answer is definitely yes. So what we've done before, we've done this a couple of different ways. We've had folks say, I have an NFT and I want to auction it off and send, you know, 50% of the proceeds to endowment. We actually just did a sale of a uh, pretty cool Bruce Lee NFT on foundation for our Stands with Asians Community Fund, Amazing. where built cool. into the contract on foundation was a split where the creator, you know, got, actually, I guess he, I, I should, I should uh, backtrack a little bit. I think that we figured out the split thing 
after he set up the contract. So he actually got 100% of the proceeds of the NFT and then donated some to us. We have some other instances that we're working on in the future where splits are actually built into the platform. So the endowment wallet will receive, let's say 50% of the sale of an NFT, and then we'll put that into the donor's donor advice fund. What we also allow folks to do is we say, you know, you can send us an NFT, we'll put it out there for auction, and then depending on how much money we receive for the sale of that NFT, there you go. We'll put that into your donor advice fund. You have the opportunity to grant that out at your leisure. I can see John's product wheels turning. Mine are too. It's like <laughs> what it, it's like. Imagine you know if you're going to get reoccurring, you know, like you know you put something out there and there's royalties that come back to you. You donate an NFT, and you know part of that is just royalties, like in perpetuity, coming back as like a write-off. It's kind of interesting. I, I, yeah, so it's when, a really when, cool model for like continued tax deductibility, right? Yeah. So I, I, so one thing, this is, this is, this topic has been on my mind forever. This is, I'm <laughs> so happy we're having this conversation. Um, but, but it's like one thing that I keep thinking of, you know, um, like staking, staking is an example. And so there are, there are, you know, staking can net you anywhere between, I don't know, 4% to 20 something percent, depending on which, even more, I guess, depending which coin you're talking about. Um, it's sustainable. Right. I mean, it's long term. It's it's recurring revenue that keeps coming in um, that typically the U.S. dollar value of that, that that the coins that you're getting varies, but you're getting more and more coins. Um, but but nonetheless, it's sustainable. And, and some of the biggest stable like like Anchor Protocol is an example, Joe, like they're, they're pulling yield from multiple platforms. That's mm -hmm. how they're able to pay you 19.6 percent. Like how does staking play into this and to take that even further um could a donor potentially like stake an amount and that yield goes to a charity without really releasing that that base amount like could the could the donor still have that and maybe even stop it someday um so point. really interesting question and honestly something that we've been talking a lot about anywhere from endowment receiving a donation of you know 32 eth and deciding to create like to to stake that ethereum right. um you know in the eth2 protocol right to exactly what you're talking about where regardless of the protocol that you're working in or that you're staking in rather having the proceeds generated from that stake automatically contributed into your donor advice fund for you to grant out you know to nonprofits at your leisure currently that's not something that we have built programmatically in our platform but it's something we're actively looking into what we'd really like to do is allow folks to say, you know, I'm going to go on, you know, idle. I'm going to, you know, deploy some U.S. dollar coin there. I want all the proceeds or some portion of those proceeds to programmatically be deposited into my donor advice fund. And then I can play with, but I don't actually want to receive them and then send them because that creates a taxable event for me. Right. Yeah. So yeah. as as you can imagine, this is really a at least a two pronged problem. Part of that is the engineering lift and part of that is really the legal lift. And there's all of this. There's really a lot of law around how nonprofits are allowed to uh, invest their assets. Right. So we're trying to figure out the best way to remain compliant, to hold on to that 501c3 status and allow folks to do really interesting and exciting things with deployment of capital, perhaps even to deposit money into a donor advised fund and then deploy those assets from within the donor advised fund to a specific platform to earn yield, put right back into that donor advised fund 
in that way, you could really easily imagine how you could create this donor advice fund that perpetually is funded, where you put a certain amount you know, of crypto in, you farm that out, you grant a certain amount every year, and you know because of the staking that you're doing, the yield farming that you're doing, you're going to keep getting more and more tokens that you'll then be able to grant out in the future. This is this is like one of the most exciting things that I could know. be built in crypto. Period. Like yeah. honestly, you, I I wish you luck because honestly, the world <laughs> needs it. It's awesome. Yeah, and and so wow. Zach, it's like you're, the way you're talking about that too. It's kind of like there's this kind of large portion of the market, like in DeFi, that like you know is on decentralized exchanges or like the Aves, the world, you know, that you guys right now like legally can't be set up to work with, right? Because there's probably some compliance around the people that you can accept donations from. And if, you know, you have to kind of authenticate that those people, you know, aren't from organizations that otherwise the US government government might deem like, you know, not on the not on the good list, right? Um, but it seems like, I mean, there, there are probably some organizations like almost like, like a BlockFi, you know, that has like a solid, you know, infrastructure set up with like KYC, AML, that could be like partnership opportunities, um, you know, but it, it will be interesting to see this open up. Cause I'm just thinking like, you know, if there was a button like that I could press on any of these kind of like decentralized staking protocols and it said, send 1% of this to like this fund, like I just instantly tap that. Like I wouldn't even think for a second, you know, and, and I know and that's that the kind of integration we're trying to build. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so it's right there. And it's like, I like that you guys, like you said, you'll, you'll take OTC, you'll sell L NFTs, like that's manual work for you right now, right? Like it's not, you haven't coded right. some of that stuff out yet, but that's the way that you got to go and like test and validate. And it seems like you guys are like all in for that. Yeah. And what's really nice, just a, a slight adjustment to what you're, what you were saying is that the KYC requirements on us as a 501c3 donor advice fund provider to be able to receive funding are actually a, a lot less stringent than where we send funding to. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, there's there's a little quirk of, of how this all works where, you know, we're not gonna go out there and uh, solicit anonymous donations because we're not allowed to do that. Folks, however, are allowed to uh, make donations anonymously, for instance, to our community funds on our site. So, you know, there's not a lot of, a lot of kind of restrictive law in terms of this is going to prevent us from accepting funds from certain people because once a donation is made to endowment and what i mean by that is either you're sending money to endowment for endowment's purposes or you're opening up a donor advised fund and funding that donor advised fund because we have ultimate kind of veto power over where funds get sent and what i mean by that is we get to say like you can't send it to hate groups and you can't send it to right. organizations that aren't 501c3 compliant right? It means that we're actually pretty flexible on where funds can come from. And we just act as a funnel to make sure that they are going to the right reputable organizations. No, thank you for, for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that opens the door, you know, to a lot of, a lot of opportunity, you know, I, I guess I didn't even think about that. Like so many like, donations are anonymous, right? Like some people, and I think that's the best way to do it. Um, so I want to backpedal just a touch. Do you have a hero philanthropist? So a person whose like legacy has inspired you to kind of write that in your Twitter bio and be doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And also uh, applause to you because that's not one I've ever received before. Really <laughs> anybody. Um, I think there, you know, this is a little bit self-serving of an answer, 
Um, but I'm actually going to talk a little bit about our CEO, Robbie Heger. He's sort of my hero philanthropist because he has, for me, just like in my personal life, outside of endowment, outside of crypto, kind of set the example for what folks should do and how folks should see philanthropy. You know, he's someone who, before he, you know, knew what what the word Bitcoin meant, was giving to philanthropy, was giving to causes that he cared about because he wanted to. You know, he used to work at Apple and part of his compensation package was stock. He took a lot of that stock and put it into kind of standard fiat donor advised funds and granted it out to nonprofits. That was just part of his, you know, every day, every year kind of thing. Sometimes it was about taxes, but often it was just about supporting causes that he really liked. Eventually it became, I have this crypto and I want to give it to the same donor advice fund, the staff at that donor advice fund looked at him like he had five heads. They were like, what are you talking about? We're not gonna accept any like Ethereum token. Like we don't even know what that is, right? This is probably back in uh, 2017 or so. And, you know, he went out there and was like, you know, not only do I need this, but no one is doing this right now. There's absolutely a need for this. And there are a ton of people that can really benefit from being able to directly donate their cryptocurrency into a donor advice fund get a much nicer tax write-off than they would if they sold that crypto and then paid taxes and then made a donation, right? So he went out there, taught himself to code, built what was the primitive form of endowment back then called uh, Giving Tree. But eventually we came to endowment.org, right? So in that way, you know, I guess it's a little self-serving, but he's sort of my hero philanthropist. And if I if I come up with a second, you know, I'm really happy to see uh, you know, someone who could fade into the background easily and could not be on center stage if he wanted to, Vitalik, right? He gave over a billion dollars worth of Shiba token basically to <laughs> India to combat the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And not only is that like really amazing and just like thrilling to see someone give, you know, not just like a, it's not a nine figure gift, it's a 10 figure gift. That's an insanely large gift, right? But also he's setting the standard and showing that crypto philanthropy is not a million, 10 million, hundred million dollar industry. It is a billion dollar industry where we can really move like very, very large sums of capital from this like mysterious to nonprofits anyway, crypto world into bank accounts of nonprofits where they can actually take those funds and do good work right now. And that's so cool. So on that, on that note, let, let's pick on Vitalik some more. So, so like he gave a billion dollars and, you know, one of the great things with blockchain is transparency and being able to track everything. So where did Vitalik's billion dollars go? How was it spent? How was it sold? Who sold it? What did they sell it for? Um, where did it go? It, it, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that, on tracking and transparency in this space? So that's a, uh... It's an interesting question. Um, in terms of where that donation went, you know, I can't speak to specifics, but I do know it was transferred directly to the organization's wallet, and then they managed it from there. I don't know what uh, you know, fiat off-ramp they used in order to move some or all of that cryptocurrency into uh, their local currency or U.S. dollars if they were spending in the States, right? But basically, that was up to the nonprofit to manage. What we do in endowment is basically we allow the nonprofit to determine how to do that, right? Either we send them a wire, essentially via Circle's payout system. We send Circle USDC, they burn that USDC and send a wire. So all of that is completely 
on chain up until Circle receives that USDC. And in terms of the off-chain method, we allow folks to sign up basically with an ABA bank wire. They give us their routing number and accounting number information. Um, Circle send, sorry, I'm, I'm saying the same thing twice. Circle sends it off to them if yep. they get a wire or yep. we send it directly to them on chain in their wallet if they wanna receive US dollar coins directly, right? In the case of an on-chain transaction, that's 100% transparent. You can see where that goes. The one thing that's missing here is how do the nonprofits spend this money, right? Right. So whether you send the funds to a nonprofit and they decide to accept via bank wire or via digital wallet transfer, how they spend that money is not something that's on-chain and easily traceable. Something that we're working on now is currently if you go to any organization page on endowment, which is basically app.endowment.org slash orgs slash that organization's EIN, which is essentially their employer identification number that every nonprofit is assigned when they get their 501c3 status. You'll see the name of the org, some basic information about the organization, like their logo and their mission, their address, their website, things like that. We actually just signed up for a little bit more robust of an API to port in a lot more, let's say, interesting information about the nonprofit. Things like, what are their ratios of overhead to programmatic spending? Where, What are their largest programs? Where do their dollars actually get spent? So we're hoping that in that way, well, we can't say, you know, of the $1,000 you sent to this charity, this is exactly how they spent that because that charity is under really no reporting requirement to tell us or you as the donor exactly how they spent those funds. What we're hoping is that by providing some of these summary statistics onto our org pages, something that we're working at and hopefully we'll be launching in the coming months, will allow folks to have a way better sense of exactly how their money is expected to get spent. A little bit of a caveat on top of that is that whenever you make a grant recommendation using endowment, using your endowment DAF, you're able to create special instructions for the nonprofit that receives this grant. What that means is that you basically, in words, are telling the nonprofit, this is how you can spend this money. And that nonprofit is legally obliged to adhere to those restrictions. Otherwise, they chance losing their 501c3 status. So if you say, I'm going to send $2,000 to this organization, and I only want you to spend it on raising awareness about COVID vaccines. That organization is legally required to do that. And that's why we actually send an email to the organization saying, here's the grant recommendation you've received. You, as the nonprofit, have the opportunity to accept or reject this donation, both because of you know, any reason that you think of outside of whatever's going on, but also can you adhere to these special instructions? Can you make that happen, right? If the special instructions are to support a program that you guys closed down a month ago, you have to reject that grant because you would not be able to use those funds for the reason that the donor says you have to use them for. Yeah, and you guys are, it's like you're kind of bridging that right now and trying to bring as much data in, but it sounds like there is a huge opportunity, you know, to, to drop onto a site click on a ether scan like transaction id and then like storytell there right and be like here's the full here's like the the day that we went and built you know 100 houses in this neighborhood and we got clean water here with this shiba inu token donation right which right. also but also brings me to another thing which is kind of interesting and i don't know if this is kind of even kind of what you guys are thinking about with like helping manage some of these funds 
you donate a billion dollars to Shiba Inu and they sell it like by the time they sell that billion dollars, you, you probably end up with like 175 million, right? Like you're just destroying price by selling this. So it's almost like, it's kind of like, you know, in the name endowment with like, I think universities, right? They do such an amazing job of managing this money, right? That it's, it's going to grow forever, right? Obviously right. they're getting, they're getting kind of, you know, acquisition through having new people donate, but they're also, you know, fully invested in Tesla or Apple. Right. And so it's like, how are you guys thinking about, and this kind of leads into the next question about other, um, potentially other chains. And then if like, you've got smaller projects that, you know, Hey, we want to donate 1% of our token supply to you guys over the lifetime of this project. And here's where we want it to go, you know, but setting parameters around, Hey, here's kind of when selling can take place and how it can take place versus dropping that into a, you know, a fund and then just immediately dropping that in the open market. Um, you know, are you guys kind of thinking around that or, or have strategy yet? I mean, it's not a huge issue. It's like, you can probably dump a decent amount of Ethereum and not have to worry about it. Um, right. but not the same for some other projects. Yeah. So let's, I'm going to parse out this into really two distinct questions. One is about, uh, like selling a little differently price slippage kind of issues. The other is, uh, expanding to other chains and why I kind of built in there is like, why do we choose Ethereum as the place to build endowment? I'll start there, which is really, you know, we follow DeFi and we follow developer energy. That's why we're we're built on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, that's why, you know, we're looking to get integrated with various DeFi applications because that's where not only the money is, but that's where the interest is. That's where, that's the exciting sandbox to play in right now. And, you know, we're trying to really meet people where they're at. And like I said, make it as easy as possible for donors to get their crypto into an endowment donor advice fund. That's easiest if we live on the chain that most of the activity takes place on. That said, totally acknowledge the fact that there are other blockchains out there. And, you know, we essentially exist on those other blockchains in an over-the-counter capacity. That's sort of gets back to what we we're talking about before, right. where we're not gonna, you know, and we can't, like there's nothing we can build on the Bitcoin blockchain to be like an endowment application, but we can receive Bitcoin donations over the counter, liquidate them via something like Gemini, you know, move those funds into US dollar coin into a donor advice fund, right? So we're always looking to make sure that regardless of where donors are making their money, wherever they're investing in whatever blockchain they're, they're interested in, we're committed to making sure that they're able to find some on-ramp to get into an endowment donor advice fund. As you said, a lot of that work is manual, but that's what we do. That's why, that's why I have a job. That's, you know, what we're doing here. We're trying to yeah. make it as easy Not as to, possible. To, just to kind of cut into that just a little yeah, bit. Um, you could, I mean, with something like Stacks or ICP now is going to have smart contracts on Bitcoin. You potentially could start to kind that's of true. build down that, that angle. But I, like one small thing, it's like when you think about like Wikipedia, right? And like, or any of these like, you know, huge successful political campaigns, it's usually these like grassroots under $20, right? So it's like, it might be behoove you to spend six hours doing an overcounter of the transaction for 50 cents, you know, for someone that's trying to donate Polygon. Um, but do you think maybe that they're, like you are saying a lot of these like five figures, you know, and that's probably because Hey, it might cost $80 to send this transaction on Ethereum with gas fees. So if you're on other another chain, you might be opening up, you know, a huge swath of the market by someone just being yeah. able to donate two bucks or $1. Um, but yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I was just kind of thinking like, 
there there's something there and i'm sure you guys are kind of thinking about that it's you know it's an interesting point because at this at this stage in endowments growth it's really all about balance right we don't have an infinite capacity of engineers to to do the yep. work and we're really trying to focus on the work that we think is going to be the most impactful and honestly that's why really all of our engineering energy is focused on continuing to build out the application that lives on the ethereum blockchain because that's where we expect the most activity to take place that said i think that's a great point and opening ourselves up to really low level, hopefully low transaction fee donations is an interesting way to kind of continue to democratize the donor advice fund structure and really make sure that everybody has access to it, not just folks that can afford the five to $25 fee to open up a donor advice fund, that's just a gas fee, and then whatever transaction fees to actually put money into that fund look like. But let me get back to your other question, which was about you know, be, essentially be able to hold, the way I interpret that question is be able to hold the currency that you donate in its native form so it can continue to grow or to yield farm it out or to deploy it in some other fashion, right? Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of like legal red tape that is associated with this. So nonprofits in the United States, which endowment is one, we just happen to be an on-chain nonprofit, are held to a really high standard in terms of the way that they invest their assets, right? Basically, uh, like the, the easiest version of the explainer here is that as a nonprofit, we can't make super risky investments with the capital that we hold, right? So if we allowed folks to come on our platform and give, let's use Ethereum as the example, Ethereum into their donor advised funds and just hold Ethereum, technically that would look to the IRS like, we as non as a nonprofit are holding most of our assets in ethereum let's say we got you know a large let's say a six figure donation right mm -hmm. suddenly all of our assets are in ethereum the irs is looking at us saying this does not conform to our policy about how you are supposed to invest money safely as a nonprofit therefore we're going to take away your 501c3 status gotcha so what we're looking into now and again this two pronged problem of engineering lift and legal lift is figuring out ways to allow folks to say, I want to give you 10 you know, units of ether and I want you to sell one every month for the next 10 months. Or I want you to wait two years and then I want you to sell it. Or perhaps even the nonprofit says, we're actually pretty comfortable with crypto and Web3 and we're willing to receive Ethereum directly. You don't have to cash it out into US dollar coin. You can just send that straight to our wallet and we will hold on to it for however long the donor instructs us to before selling it, right? There are a lot of interesting things that we can do here. I think like Charity Water is a great example of this. They have figured out a way to receive Bitcoin directly and say, we're gonna hold on to this Bitcoin for five years and then mm -hmm. we're gonna sell it and then we're gonna use it to fund our, you know, our programs. Uh, they're doing that in a way that like lives outside of the donor advice fund world. So our challenge is figuring out a way to basically mirror that process, but have it exist in a donor advice fund ecosystem where you as a donor get to say, you know, I want these, you know, three units of ether and these, uh, you know, 20 Uniswap tokens to sit in, in my fund. And I want this to be the selling schedule, or I'll tell you when to sell and we'll go from there. 
right? There's yeah. a lot of really exciting things that we can do with that that does require a significant legal lift from our, from our, I guess, our legal team, for lack of a better term, to figure out how do we make this happen? How do we do so in a way that is, is safe in terms of like smart contract infrastructure and also in a way that the IRS approves of and isn't going to suddenly say, you know, we're, we're holding your 501c3 status uh, it's kind of in jeopardy because of the way you are custodying funds. Yeah. And I did so, see you guys had, or go, go ahead, ahead, John, if you got one. No, no, go for it. Well, I, I got, I mean, just, just two, two thoughts. I mean, one thing I know it's, you know, the, the commitment to Ethereum and I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, but people that invested in Solana a year ago have made 5,000%. And, you know, on your side, it, it may look like Ethereum, but perhaps there's some opportunity to do some sort of a bridge. Cause I, I would guarantee you, um, there's a whole lot of people that are sitting on a whole lot of money right now that want to want to do something for good with it, not yeah. just take it and buy a Lamborghini or something like that. Well, you know, so I'm just thinking like that, those scenarios of like growth, like there are certain runs that certain coins take over time. And I mean, that can't be ignored. I mean, someone that's sitting on profits, their, their, their tax basis is insanity. Yeah. So they would more likely uh, be way more likely to do something good with it than to sell it. I would, I would think. There, there's yeah, just one step, one just yeah. one piece of that. It's almost like just thinking through like these when you gift these funds. I mean, there's an Ethereum address, right? And that's where you send it, and it's public on the uh, once you create that um, uh, endowment, right? Like it's there's a public address. You right, you're, you're you have a donor advice fund contract that is a smart contract and has an address, and then each organization has an org contract that also has an Ethereum address. But continue. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty simply, I mean, by creating like, you know, it's like, here's the shout out to the community. Each one of these kind of like layer one projects should create a smart contract where you can enter any of the endowment Ethereum addresses, choose your parameters, and then just bridge it over based on those parameters. So if I, like that way, it's an anonymous donation um, and it's being bridged in a smart contract. So you know that it's sent there and then you guys could kind of audit or have like hack in or someone audit that smart contract um, so that you know it's working. And so people can now have this kind of like exterior smart contract that's pushing into whatever you know contract you want. And then you can send it a signal if you wanted to adjust over time. And that's like, that doesn't, that should be built by the community in my eyes versus you guys having to do all this heavy lifting as a nonprofit. Yeah. Hey, that would be fantastic. You know, we're always happy to have our our community step in and, and help us. You know, build new functionality. I think that it's it's complicated, but that sounds like a fantastic idea, and I'm all for it. You know, there's there's additional complications of like how do we make sure that folks receive a tax receipt in the right way? How do we make sure that we are liquidating their asset in a way that is, and I, this would be part of the smart contract infrastructure most beneficial to the donor, right? We want them to have access to the largest sources of liquidity in order to liquidate that gift to eventually send to a nonprofit because, you know, as you said, if you have a really large gift and the liquidity source that you're trading in is, uh, let's say, not the best, you're not gonna get the full amount of proceeds that you expect from that gift, right? So yeah. working out these little idiosyncrasies is important. But I think that's a fantastic idea, figuring out a way to bridge funds from Solana, from Bitcoin, from these other blockchains onto Ethereum, where we have our you know, in-production application, would open us up to really fantastic sources of funding and also make it 
back to that same point that I keep returning to, even easier for folks to make this happen because folks can do this now, it just requires a couple of extra steps to bridge onto Ethereum on their own by providing some way to allow them to go directly to endowment. What we'd be able to do is help them avoid those steps, avoid those taxable events, and then still be able to contribute their you know hard earned capital gains uh, to good. Yeah. And I would, I would suspect that there might be a decent amount of people out there on these DEXs anywhere in the world that that would just send it anyway without any sort of write-off um, just because they want to give. But I'm sure that's a smaller percentage. Um, I did want to I want to get your uh, thought on this. I looked it up last night, and I never actually heard this term before. But uh, Please. as we're kind of winding down, so it says, charity aims to relieve the pain of a particular social problem, whereas philanthropy attempts to address the root cause of the problem. Would you agree with that statement? Or do you see them uh, as one, one in the same? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm. I'm curious where you read that. You know, Wikipedia. I, huh. <laughs> where, what were you looking up? Philanthropy. <laughs> it's like, like, I, I consider myself like pretty good at being able to articulate words. Philanthropy has always been like a word that I just can't say the well. So I was like just looking it up. Um, I I think that you know that that <laughs> definition, you know, it makes sense to me. I, I guess that rings partially true that charity tends to be targeted at making people's lives easier that have experienced some something negative whether it's you know a negative externality created by a company or by the government or just like that exists in the world right where philanthropy is really about eliminating that issue from existence i hear that and i understand that but at the same time I've talked to many charities whose goal is to not like alleviate the pains of, as an example, child hunger, but eliminate child hunger. You know, they would not describe themselves as a philanthropy. They would call themselves a charity. So I think it's all about, we're like in the very technical of like what this word means and what it's intended yeah. to mean. That said, you know, what we're really in the business of is figuring out ways to make it really easy for folks to take their crypto and give it to whatever nonprofit organizations make sense to them. Some of those organizations will explicitly say, you know, all that we're trying to do is make sure that the hungry kids that are out there are getting fed, period, end of story. Other nonprofits will say, hey, we actually are going to go after the root causes for hunger of children in the United States. Great. Like those right. two organizations, technically, you know, according to this definition, one is like charity and one is a philanthropy, but really we leave it up to our donors to decide who they want to support, what they want, what programs of those nonprofits they want to support and how much to support them. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, okay, it's interesting, but it, <laughs> I think it was more along the lines of it's interesting to think of just charity and philanthropy as like, hey, sometimes you just need to act, right? Her, like hurricane hits this area that need, you just need to act and you need to respond. And then it's like, well, hey, we're also going to work on the kind of core problem of why maybe this undertone in society is happening. And so you just have to focus on both. Yeah, um, but like I, a, I just thought it was interesting. Like a Hurricane Ida relief fund versus an organization that we've worked with before, like carbonfund.org, that is about, you know, like lowering the amount of carbon that is released into the atmosphere. Right. So those two things, if you assume that carbon released into the atmosphere is associated with global warming, which causes weather events to be worse, I'm making a lot of assumptions here. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> those two organizations, you know, are working around the same problem, but in very different ways. And honestly, we see that across the board. There are 
I believe about 1.7 million different US-based 501c3 organizations that you can give to through endowment, right? Obviously, they're all, a lot of them are gonna coalesce around some type of philanthropic mission, whether that is alleviating a pain or eliminating a problem so that pain doesn't exist, right? And the only way that we're really gonna make a difference because there are problems that exist and we have to figure out ways to solve for these problems using charity is to attack it from both ends. We need to help the people that are suffering right now in this moment. We also need to make sure that whatever caused those people to suffer doesn't continue to occur. Well said, well said. And yeah, I mean, just to kind of tie it back to what you were saying a little bit at the beginning where, you know, like the infrastructure that we have currently in each country sometimes is not set up to go the last mile, right? And a, a member of our team at Lunar Crush is part of uh, Team Rubicon. Um, and it started as like some ex-military and, you know, they would go into, you know, Haiti or they'd go into some of these places and they would be able to deploy much faster, right? And they were organized very quickly and they can go kind of be this other detachment um, that was, you know, on top of people there. And it's just all based on their time and their ability and some of the knowledge they have. Um, but that extra, it's kind of like reserves, like that extra 10% of the people that need to go into action at that last minute, make all the difference. Um, so exactly. it's really, really amazing stuff you're working on, Zach. I really appreciate you coming on um, and telling us about it. I think this is probably one of the more fun conversations we've we've had on here. Um, and I think you guys are, are doing a great thing and um, looking forward to helping you any way we can um, and getting the word out. And, you know, thank you, man, for being a part of it. Of course. Guys, cool. thank you so much for having me. This was a thrill. You know, we're, we're approaching a really exciting time. Something like 85% of individual giving happens during November and December. And then some crazy amount of that, like 85% of it actually happens during the December and specifically the week in between Christmas and New Year's. So I think there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pike. We do have, you know, a number of improvements that we're going to be making to our application in the coming months. Um, and you know, would, I, I love this conversation. Would be happy to, to come on and, and share once we have all that out there in the world, and after we're through this uh, this giving season, which tends to end, you know, on December thirty first. Because if you want a tax deductible donation to hit in twenty twenty one, it's got to be actually hitting in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I was about to go down the route of, you know, everyone's reflecting at the end of the year, you know, which I'm sure is some of it, but yeah. That's definitely part of it too. That's definitely part of it too. <laughs> no, man. Thank you. Hey, whatever it takes, right? Um, exactly. So appreciate Every it. Every little bit counts. Yeah. And thank you everyone so much for listening. Um, you can find these guys app.endowment.org, right? That's exactly cool. right. Thank you, Zach. And John, as always, man, it's a pleasure. We'll cool. Talk to you all later. We'll see you back soon.